welcome to another episode of A Brighter Future, Laidlaw Wealth Management's podcast. I'm Rick Calhoun, CEO of Laidlaw Wealth Management, and today we are fortunate to have Paul Delaquila, president of Defiance ETFs, with us. Defiance ETFs is working a niche in the ETF space, referred to as thematic investing, and their success has been remarkable. In fact, their most recent offering, the Defiance Next Gen Connectivity ETF, ticker symbol FIVG for 5G, has raised over $250 million in less than a year and has caught the attention of periodicals like Bloomberg, Zacks, and Kiplinger's, just to name a few. Thank you for being here today, Paul. Excited to, being here, Rich. I'm excited to learn more about Defiance and your unique lineup of ETS. But let me start with what attracted you to a Defiance. You had spent almost 20 years at big firms like BlackRock and iShares, and you left to join a firm that has seven employees. Exactly. So I think whenever you do a move like that, you have to be a little bit crazy, which we were. Uh, but it was also the best decision I've ever made in my career. So I was a 20-year, almost 20-year person at iShares. So I was there in the infancy. And I think what Matt Belsky, my business partner, and I recognized was there was an underserved niche in ETFs, and that was thematic ETFs. I think we all know ETFs as very good core building blocks of portfolios, S&P 500 exposure, EFA ag. What we began to notice, though, that there was more interest in complementary positions that can fit the role in thematic investing. So that's what attracted to us. We had a very good business model that we thought we could take advantage of, and we decided to take the leap into uh, independent business ownership, if you will. Fantastic. Decided to become an entrepreneur. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Defiance was created to offer investors access to transformative technology via targeted portfolios, as you said, thematic. And your success has truly been transformative. Um, last week, we were honored to be part of your bell ringing ceremony at the New York Stock Exchange, which was the third in less than 18 months, which is a feat that was previously unheard of. What do you attribute that incredible success to? So it's a little bit awe-inspiring hearing you say that because uh, I was fortunate enough to do that a couple times at my old firm. And no matter how many times you go to the New York Stock Exchange for a bell ringing, it's one of those awesome experiences that yeah. just does not get old. So it's, it's, it's great to hear you say what you just said. Um, what I think we could attribute to the growth of is that we really had the business plan of keeping it simple. What we want to provide exposures for clients and ultimately end investors was something that is transformative, as you referenced, something that's going to be here for years to come, something that's not just a fad. Um, and that's what we've done with 5G. That's what we've done with quantum computing. That's what we've done with even diet and our next-gen agriculture ETF. And, and ultimately, what we wanted to try to do for investors was get mom and pop to understand what we're doing. And I think investing can be really complex and, and a lot of asset management firms, particularly product manufacturers, are very good at making their strategy seem extremely complex. What we wanted to do was make it simple. So if you look at any one of our ETFs, you know exactly what you're getting. And we're not trying to replace your core exposure. I think you should own the S&P 500, you should own EFA, you should own AG. What we're trying to do is complement those core positions. We're trying to give investors the ability to access certain trends that we believe are going to be transformative for the way we work and live for years to come and do it in a way that's cost advantageous for them because we are very price competitive in the thematic ETF world, but also do it in a way that can complement the core positions they already own in a very easy manner. 
Absolutely. So enabling both the end investor, but also the financial advisor to be able to create more efficient portfolios and access to informatics. Without a doubt, I think you nailed it. Our whole mantra is ETFs built for the next generation. So I think we covered um, kind of the, the, the individual investor. So it's transformative exposures that are going to transcend our lives for years to come. The second part of that is what you just touched on. It's financial advisors. The way they construct portfolios is changing. I noticed this when I was at BlackRock. It is no longer just buy three or four ETFs and charge a fee for that. Sure. They want to enhance the, what they're doing for their clients. And one way to do that is through thematic investing. And what I also noticed at my old firm was individual stock ownership is starting to get smaller and smaller. There's less teams that have the ability to really analyze stocks in a manner um, that's going to give them additive uh, returns in their portfolio. And, and a financial advisor's job has evolved. It's more than just picking investments. It's estate planning, wealth planning, generational planning, 529 planning. You have to do so many other things, and investments is a small part of what all of you deliver to your clients. ETFs are a great tool to be able to enhance potentially returns for clients, but differentiate the portfolio and the offering you're delivering to clients, but do it in a way that makes it less tedious as far as individual stock ownership. Fantastic. So the idea of holistic wealth management, but also helping the advisor add alpha to what they offer their clients. That's exactly right. Fantastic. That's the game. That's great. Let's switch gears for a second and talk a little bit about the ETF industry in general. Um, I recently read a report from JP Morgan that said that ETFs are on course to gather more assets over the next five years than almost 30 years since they were launched. So under that premise, let me ask you, do you think it's A, a realization by the public of how efficient and low cost ETFs are, B, the influence of new generation of investors, a little of both, or maybe something completely different? I know there's a lot there, so yeah, un yeah. let's unpack that. I'll go with option C there. I think it's a okay. little bit of both. Um, ultimately, I think consumers are becoming smarter. So whether you want to look for a plumber, a car, or anything else, Google has kind of become the first stop for sure. that. So investors are more conscious about what they're paying for, like I said, a car, plumber, whatever, but also financial advice. Yeah. Um, they realize that you know fees that, that early on in my career seemed normal were probably a little bit higher than what they would expect to pay today. Um, so I think fees certainly have something to do with it. Uh, the other part of it, too, I think wealth advisory, your side of the business has changed. Uh, back in the day, you have to pick up a phone and it was kind of do a commission business and you get charged a commission for executing trades for clients. That's changed. It's yeah. mostly going towards fee-based planning. It's more fee for advice so that you're, again, able to come up with that holistic plan and really uh, look to help grow that client's wealth. And, and, and if they earn more money, you get paid more money, but they're willing to do that because it's a good model that, you know, again, their assets are going up and they're willing to do that. So that's the reason I see that happening. The other part of it too, taxes. High net worth investors do not want to pay more in taxes. ETFs are an extremely tax efficient vehicle, much more so than a mutual fund. Um, so if you tie up taxes, if you tie up costs, the third point I would say is transparency. More and more people want to know what they're paying for advice, but they also want to know what's inside of their portfolio. Our ETFs, just about every ETF, publishes their holdings on a daily basis. So if you want to know exactly what stock you own, what bond you own inside one of those ETFs, it's very easy to go to that provider's website, pull it up, and see exactly what you own. 
So I think it really comes down to fees, costs, and taxes are some of the bigger reasons as to why you're seeing that trend right now. Got it. Fantastic. And, and for those of you who are wondering, yes, we are live in New York City, and you always get sirens in New York City. Um, staying on the theme around what's going on in the market, some investors have uh, expressed some concerns and some worries about recent changes to market liquidity, such as the greater use of automated trading systems, the high rise, the rise of high-frequency trading, and increased liquidity risk during periods of market stress. Liquidity concerns may also explain why investors are focused on market volume and bid-ask spreads when they're trading ETFs. How would you respond to those who raise concerns that ETFs could be hit pretty dramatically if we experience a liquidity market, a, a liquidity concern in a bear market? So a couple things there. So one, um, I would say ETFs are tried and true and tested in those types of circumstances already. And I'll give you a couple examples in a second. Um, the second part of that, I think people should be looking at bid-in offers and all that kind of good stuff, and we'll get into more of that. But if I, I go back um, sort of the beginning. So if you go to the infancy of ETFs, ETFs have been around since 93. The reality is in 2000s when they started to take off, 9-11, um, right? Really, yeah. really bad time for the markets. Uh, markets were closed for a few days, and, and when they opened, not all of the S&P 500 stocks were actually open to trading. However, um, products like IBV, the iShare S&P 500, and SPY, the Stage Street product, were. Okay. So they were actually in a term of crisis where not every market was, or not every stock was open for the market, actually adding liquidity to the market. 2008, same sort of thing. If you look at markets that typically kind of give you the canary in the coal mine, high yield tends to be one of them, yeah. right? So if you see high yield trading go sideways as far as fixed income goes, that means something's going on with the equity markets. Um, what you saw, and this was, you know, living it, HYG, the iShare product, that was a product that actually has taken a very opaque, a very what's considered illiquid market and added a tremendous amount of liquidity to, to that market. So in other words, if one of your clients as an individual tried to trade a high yield bond, good luck. Yeah. Um, even if one of your brokers tried to trade a high yield bond, it's as good as the offer on the other end of the telephone from the broker that you're trading it from. Um, there's no way to really tell is that a good price. What HYG at least does is give you an indication of what's going on in the market. So in times of crisis, you may actually see that bid and offer widen out. All that's providing you is an insight into a market that is very, very opaque. And you're seeing that in emerging market equities. You're seeing that in a lot of places. ETFs are actually a vehicle that can actually add liquidity to the market and right. make it a little bit more transparent for investors to trade. Fantastic. Make it a little more fair for the average investor. That's correct. Because, yeah. again, you look at it from even a municipal, right? So, if, you're, if, if again, if you want to trade a muni, even a corporate bond for that matter, um, still markets that are opaque, ETFs are providing price transparency. So, in other words, you can pull that up, a bid-in offer, and actually get a bid-in offer that's realistic. If you don't want to choose to execute with that bid-in offer, you have the ability not to. Um, but if you if you just trade with a broker on the end of their phone, especially for fixed income, Again, you're subject to whatever price they deem as fake, that bond at that time. Got it. Um, so it's giving you a little bit more uh, insight to what's going in the market. And I think if you look at it from an equity ETF perspective, very, very transparent. The equity market in general is very, very transparent. Everything usually trades around one, two, maybe three cents wide. Um, and our ETFs are no different. They're, they're very tight bidding offer spread. Excellent. That's great. Um, let's switch back to defiance and, and talk a little bit about what you're, you're, you're working on. Your niche, obviously, is thematic ETFs, and a recent survey 
stated thematic ETFs and ETFs with an environmental, social, and, e and government, so ESG focus, are expected to receive relatively high level of interest going forward. You have FIVG, which is the first ETF focused exclusively on 5G technology. You have DIET, which is focused on next-gen food and agriculture. And you have QTUM, QTUM, excuse me, which is focused on machine learning, artificial intelligence, and quantum computing. Can you share with our listeners how the decision was to made to target those three areas? Sure. What we try to do being a new issuer, um, we don't have the size and scale of a Vanguard or a BlackRock or a State Street. We can't really compete with putting a bunch of boots on the ground and saying we're gonna go knock on a bunch of financial advisors' doors to try to raise assets. Um, to my earlier point, what we tried to come up with were concepts that were easy for the investor to understand. So something like 5G, something like uh, next-gen food and agriculture for diet, um, something that we can all agree that, you know, it's going to transcend our lives for years to come. And then secondarily, do it in a way that they can access it for a reasonable cost, which we thought were two of the core tenets of what we were trying to do, and ultimately deliver that exposure in a clean way. Um, the reason we saw these if you looked at CNBC at the time, if you looked at um, any really financial publication, 5G just continually popped up on the radar. So what we started saying is, this looks like something cool. Can we actually invest in it, one? Two, do we think we can actually build a product that's going to give you exposure to what we're ultimately trying to do? And the answers were yes. Um, so we rolled out the products. We, we, we knew we had something that was of interest to people. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm completely frank. I never would have expected, you know, 11 months ago, this launched in March of last year, that we'd be sitting on 250 million of assets today. We'd have been very happy for it, 100 million at this point. Um, so, so to be where we are, it's 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 great. Um, but the other part of it, we had a plan, and 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 yes, we were pivoting from it. Um, there were a ton of doubters along the way saying, what are you guys doing? But the reason we believe is that we, Matt and I, have over 30 years of ETF experience. Uh, we knew that this was an underserved area of the market that we could look to take advantage of. And um, ultimately, I think what it points to is that if you come up with a unique idea, if you present it in a way for investors to have an easy understanding of what they're getting, they will be willing to invest dollars in it. I think we'll be able to prove that concept. That's fantastic. It's exciting, too. So yeah. finally, um, to the extent that you're allowed to share, uh, can you share some of the criteria and maybe how the research is done to consider some of your thematic ideas? And then maybe any themes that you're considering in the future, again, to the extent that you could. Sure. And, and I think you have, you know, everybody calls it whiteboarding or whatever. You got this idea list and you're like, whatever. You kind of throw stuff at the wall and you see. Um, and then what we actually do is actually vet it. So can we actually invest in the concept that we came up with? Because it could be a really cool idea, but if you can't really get companies that have exposure to it in a direct way, it doesn't really make sense from an investment standpoint. The next thing we look at is the ETF landscape. So in other words, what competitors are in the marketplace? Because in my opinion, if we're a first mover, the likelihood of success is much, much higher. We can always try to do it better, but then you're competing against other products. Um, so we look at those two things primarily, and then we ultimately get to a point of saying, all right, this is the product we're going to go with. Um, so, I mean, some of the things that excite us, uh, 
one I'll point to, we recently filed for a biotechnology ETF. I think that's an area that we are very excited about um, to, to be able to bring to market, and hopefully that will be in the near future. Uh, but we're always looking for those ideas that, um, again, are relating to investors that actually have an appetite to invest in a certain space, but can it be actually an investable asset class that we can create for them and give it to them an exposure that's going to be cost effective. And those, are, those are the core tenets of what we're doing as a business. Biotechnology is probably the next one on that. Cool. For Fantastic. All right. So last question. Inside a diet, got to ask you, yeah. have you tried the Beyond Meat and Burger? So, and what do you think? Yeah. So so full transparency, I have tried it. <laughs> um, I'm still a traditional meatball guy. It's a Philly guy. There you go. Meatballs. There you go. Right? Nothing, nothing you know, changes me from a Philly steak. But the reality is uh, we do have a vegan in our family who likes it. So okay. meat alternatives is a small part of what we're doing in that portfolio. And what we're trying to do is say, all right, whether you're vegan, whether you like to consume chicken or beef, like I would prefer, um, what diet is about is about sustainability of the food chain. So yeah. what we're trying to do is provide alternative sources of protein, whether it be Beyond Meat, salmon farms in Norway, which we have in there, or more sustainable producers of poultry and pork um, in North America. So we're trying to be a catch-all for everybody. Um, and really what that product's about is about the sustainability of our food chain. That's fantastic. Paul, this has been phenomenal. You can find more information at uh, www.defianceetfs.com. Um, and until our next episode, this is Rick Calhoun. Have a great day. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by Laidlaw and Company, together with its affiliates and their employees, Laidlaw, solely for informational purposes. Laidlaw is not providing or undertaking to provide any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax, or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be, nor should be construed as the provision of investment advice by Laidlaw to that listener or generally and do not result in any listener being considered a client or customer of Laidlaw. The information statement, comments, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast do not constitute and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or make or consider any investment course of action. Laidlaw does not make any representation or warranty as the accuracy or completeness of any of the information statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast and any liability therefore is expressly disclaimed. Laidlaw does not undertake any obligation whatsoever to provide any form of update, amendment, change, or correction to any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions set forth in this podcast. No part of this podcast may, without Laidlaw's prior written consent, be reproduced, redistributed, published, copied, or duplicated in any form by any means.